All right, if you were listening uh, the last hour on Spreaker, you saw that it was entitled Jeremiah Part 41. You would then notice five seconds after that, Jeremiah 41, Part 41 disappeared because I deleted it as soon as I was finished, all right? Because sometimes things don't go the way I want them to go. So I'm going to have to apologize for anyone who heard the last hour because you're going to have to hear a little bit of it again. But I'm going to try to fix it and try to make it work. The one thing I have learned in my preaching is everything goes wrong when I do what I always typically do. All right. So here's the way it's supposed to work in church, right? You give everyone, you, you go to school, you learn the uh, theology for your team, right? Whatever your team is, right? If you're Baptist, if you're Reformed Baptist, if you're Pelagian, semi-Pelagian, you learn the theology for your team, right? Because the people who go to your church, for the most part, have done what? Adopted that theology. And then what I'm supposed to do is just stand here and do what? Just regurgitate it, right? Just, 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 just give you the same thing, right? Just, just speak. And, and, and I just, and you just, and everyone's like, okay, yes, that's what we all agree with. And everyone says that, amen. But you know that there's something, I, I don't do that, do I? No, what I like to do is take what, I don't care if it's a theology for our team or it's a theology against our team. What I like to do is do what? Take all of those presuppositions and kick them where? Kick them out and then say, okay, here's the idea, everyone. All right, here's the idea. And then I get us to walk through the idea. One of the ways I like to get, get us to, to, uh, to challenge the idea is I strip away everything and almost without fail, I tell us to do what? Gather all pertinent scriptures about said issue. But I don't read the scriptures in light of the theology that's imposed upon them, right? I throw that out and say, just looking at these scriptures, can we arrive at that conclusion? Right? And I walk through, and when I walk through the scriptures, how do I walk through the scriptures? I walk through the scriptures not as if I know what they say, or I may not even act like I know what they say, because I'm going to walk through them to try to let them say what they say. And then when we're done, guess what it may do? It may not go along with our team. And whenever that happens, what happens? It always creates problems, right? Because I've taken your precious presupposition and I've kicked it as far away as I can kick it. But I don't care about your presuppositions. I really don't care, right? Because either we're here to actually study the text or we're not. So whenever we start dealing with some subjects, it gets, everyone just is expecting. That, look, I can do it. Look, right here. Here's, here's a book on advanced, uh, see, the doctrine which you, have, uh, which you have learned. I could sit at home, take this book, write down the little doctrinal things that I'm supposed to say, come preach it like I came up with it, and don't tell you where I actually got it from because, you know, preachers always love to do that, right? And then, and then, and then just give you the regurgitate what you know. But I cannot stand that. That's because people want sermons. Nobody actually wants to study because to study, it's not going to work that way. So I know it always creates problems, but I'm sorry, I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to go down. I'm going to go down with the ship, not doing it the way everyone tells me to do it. I, I hate the way everyone else does it, right? That's why if this church doesn't exist, I'm not going to another church because I can't stand the way it's done. I can't stand all people want are little sermons. They don't want to actually dig in. But when you dig in, what happens? It becomes very uncomfortable. And what happens is because it becomes uncomfortable, people have a tendency to try to want to fix it instead of just let it play itself out. To let it play it out. Sometimes you may, it may end in a place you don't like, but you got to let it at least end, right? And I know it's tempting. So... We, we found ourselves in Jeremiah 19, and, as, and then we found ourselves on a long detour. And this detour leads us to a very controversial subject, and I'm not going to handle the controversial subject the way everyone tells me to handle it. I'm just not going to do so. If I want to, I could pick up a book like this and just regurgitate it, right? But I, I'm not going to do that. And even if I use the book, what would I do? 
I would use the book as a hypothesis, and then we would test the, the book, right? That's how, I would, that's how I would do so. So we're going to go do that. We're going to have to fly. So I hope you're ready. We're going to be moving at a million miles per hour because I have to correct it. I can't just, I can't delete the last one and just move on because then there's a big gap, right? So I'm, I'm going to try to fix this, all right? And, and you're, you're not going to like it, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. We're going to do it anyway. You ready? So go back to Jeremiah 19. We're going to repeat. I'm going to fix this one way or the other. If I have to repeat this same message for the next 17 weeks, I will until we can get to a place where I feel we're on the same page. All right, Jeremiah chapter 19. Here we go. Verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, go and get a potter's earthen bottle and take of the ancients of the people and of the ancients of the priest. All right, so God tells Jeremiah to get an earthen bottle and he's to take some people with him, right? Who is he to take? The priest and the elders, right? Okay, so he's to take them. And they're to go forth and to the valley of the son of Hinnom, right? To go to Hinnom. Now, I could ignore the place and just tell you the bad things that happened there. But I couldn't do that. Why could I not do that? Because when you read the valley of Hinnom, what should immediately come to your mind? Hell. Because Hinnom and hell are very much connected. So this gets us to the doctrine of hell. So everyone grab a Bible dictionary. We're going to repeat at least this part of what we did in the first hour. Grab the Bible dictionary and look up the entry for Hinnom. All right? It's on page, at this point, we should have it memorized. It's on page 568 because this is attempt number three to do this. Attempt number three. Maybe the third time we'll get it right, okay? Okay. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to make this work. I don't, I re- to honestly, I don't really know what's so controversial. I really don't know what's so controversial. I don't know what's so difficult here. I think it's pretty straightforward, but we'll see. We'll see, all right? So the Valley of Hinnom, I'm going to get this right one way or the other, all right? Okay, here we go. Valley of Hinnom, page 568. It is a deep, narrow ravine west and south of Jerusalem at the high place of Beal in the Valley of Hinnom. Parents sacrificed their children as a burnt offering to Molech. 2 Kings 23.10. So in this valley of Hinnom was a place of worshiping Baal, right? And they sacrificed their children, all right? Everybody understand that? That's a historical, a historical fact. Everybody good? And it was a burnt offering to whom? Molech, all right? So far, so good. Ahaz and Manasseh, kings of Judah, were both guilty of this awful wickedness. 2 Chronicles 28, 3, 33, 6. But good king Josiah destroyed the pagan altars to remove the temptation from the people of Judah. Now, there is argument historical, uh, historically that what Josiah did is like, hey, we got to stop the people from coming here, erecting their altars and their high places. So, now are we going to tear it down? We're going to turn this place into a garbage dump. Because if you make it a garbage dump, People are not going to come there. And all we're going to make it a garbage dump. We're going to do what with the garbage? We're going to burn it. All right? This is very, very much important. All right? Now, the prophet Jeremiah foretold that God would judge this awful abomination of human sacrifice and would cause such a destruction that the valley of the son of Hinnom would become known as the valley of slaughter. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 7. Verses 31 through 32, chapter 19, verse 2, chapter 19, verse 6, chapter 32, verse 35. This place was also called Tophet. So far, so good. Now, on Wednesday, we covered all of this, okay? We covered all of this on Wednesday, all right? We covered it again this morning, all right? Apparently, the Valley of Hinnom was used as the garbage dump for the city of Jerusalem. Refuse, waste, materials, and dead animals were burned here. Fires continually smoldered and smoke from the burning debris rose day and night. Hinnom thus becomes a graphic symbol of woe and judgment and of a place of eternal punishment called hell. There's the connection. Now I could just, I could have skipped this in Jeremiah, but why would I skip it? Because immediately anyone who knows about the Valley of Hinnom knows it becomes a graphic symbol for hell. So then I'm like, okay, well then let's see what we know about hell. I could have possibly ignored this, but I felt that this would be a good place to cover it, right? I, I think it makes sense, all right? And, and there's some reasons why. Okay, so now, before we read the next paragraph, so let me make sure we, uh, I just listen to me carefully. One of the reasons I wanted to do this, Hinnom is a physical, a valley of Hinnom is a physical, literal place. 
Yes? It was turned into a literal physical garbage dump where physical literal garbage was burned. What happens to garbage when you burn it? it, go it it's gone. It burns up. Okay, so because hell is associated with this place, many who hold to the doctrine of annihilationism says, well, then hell is basically the cosmic garbage dump and people will be thrown there and they will burn up. All right, so because of this, then I'm like, all right, then we need to do what? Well, let's work through it and see if we can find out in Scripture what it actually teaches. So when we go to Scripture, we end up obviously in the New Testament because that's where most of the teaching of hell is going to be, right? We may have some, some discussion in the Old Testament that maybe get us close, but the main thing, we're going to have to go to the New Testament. Now, if we go into the New Testament, the Valley of Hinnom becomes, it's translated, the, translated into Greek, the Hebrew Valley of Hinnom becomes a different word. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. I got to go quick. I got to move at 100 miles per second. Matthew 5, 22, all right? I'm going to pull this up. Matthew 5, 22. All right? Now, in, the, in your English Bibles, you're going to read this. Matthew 5, 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council. And whoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. There you go. Now, the Valley of Hinnom in Greek becomes hell or hellfire. Now, if you look up the Greek word there, guess what Greek word it is? And some of you should know who've been listening. Well, yes, Gehenna. Now, if we, if I'll find it, I'll play it for you. Let's see here. Where did it go? There it is. It becomes this Greek word. Strong's G 1067, Gehenna. Gehenna. All right. Guyana, or we can, there's all of these little variations on how we say it, depending on our accent, but our Guyana, right? Now, Guyana is used how many times in the New Testament? Twelve times. It's used twelve times. Nine times hell, uh, hell fire three times, all right? Guyana, if you look up Strong's definition, Guyana is a valley of Jerusalem, right? Used figuratively as a name or place or state of everlasting punishment, Hell. Now, they state that it's everlasting, right? That's what they state. So guess what we did on Wednesday? We went through all references to Guyana, which is translated hell. And guess what we came up with? It wasn't quite as clear as everyone makes it out to be. There were verses that were like, okay... All right, we got fire, but it doesn't really give us duration. We got maybe weeping and outer darkness that's attached to it. Okay, maybe we got maybe the worm never dies. We got some information, but we're not, we can't quite get there. And we're like, okay, so what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And so we decided that we have to expand our search, right? Because we know where everyone's going to go. So everyone immediately forgets Guiana, forgets the Greek word Guiana, and they go look for Another passage that will be more dogmatic, more assertive on exactly what happens in hell. And everyone goes to, no, everyone goes somewhere else before they go to Revelation. Revelation is going to create our own problems. That's why we're redoing this, all right? Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Everyone should know this because this is where every sermon on hell goes. All right, Luke chapter 16. Starting in verse 19, everyone goes here. This is the go-to passage on the subject, all right? Luke 16, 19, all right? Luke 16, 19. I'll make sure I'm there. There we go. Luke 16, 19, all right? Everybody ready? All right, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into 
Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. Now, let's stop right here. Immediately, now we have an extra layer to all of this that gets a little confusing. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so we're in the Valley of Hinnom. That gets us to the subject of hell. But where in the world did Abraham's bosom come into play? And what in the world is it? And why is it called Abraham's bosom? Okay, immediately you're like, okay... What am I supposed to do with this text? You start asking questions. Now, just so that you know, those who believe in annihilationism believe that this is a parable and you're not to take it literal. Others are like, no, it's not a parable. It's a literal account and you must take it literal. Okay, well, if you take it literal, now we got to go, well, where did Abraham's bosom come into play? And then we start finding some things out about Abraham's bosom, right? And it gets kind of weird and it gets kind of odd, all right? So who goes to Abraham's bosom? The beggar. And then who lifts up his eyes in hell? The rich man. And in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment and he seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now the next thing we start going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So if in Abraham's bosom and hell, the two people in both places can see each other. All right, now we ask, okay, is Abraham's bosom heaven or is it something separate? And does it go away? Where, now you start, to, and, and in heaven, can people see the people in hell and the people in hell see people in heaven? Because if you're in heaven watching people burn for eternity, I don't know if it would be a place without tears. Right? That becomes all kinds of confusing. Unless now I'm going to see it differently. It starts raising all kinds of questions. But okay, so far, maybe, maybe it makes sense. Then the next part, verse 24 The rich man cried and said, what? Father Abraham. Now this, the whole thing at this point, any Bible student should go like, this makes no sense. Why is he praying to Abraham? Catholics would be like, see, this is proof for praying to the dead. Why is he praying to Abraham? Not only that, not only is he praying to Abraham, or at least speaking, some say, well, it's not prayer, Okay, whatever you want to call it, he's calling to Abraham, and listen to this. Why is he asking Abraham for mercy? Because who should he be asking? God. Now the text gets even more bizarre. Okay, you want to know what's bizarre? Look, I keep reading. So he says, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, now immediately the thing gets weird because wait a minute, where is who in this passage? Where's God? Where, where's God? Because who, now, guess who runs the narrative all the way through? Abraham runs the narrative as if who's in charge? Abraham. So why would someone in hell look for Abraham for mercy? Because you think they would look to God for mercy. Now you can see why some people would go like, I don't know how literally we want to take this because it gets really, 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 really weird. Okay. So he asks for Abraham, but then Abraham gives him all this information that basically, sorry, nobody can help you out. Right. Nobody can come to you. Right. Everybody remember that? And he said, well, if you can't help me, send someone to my father's house. Right. And Abraham said unto him, they have, now please know who's still leading the narrative. Abraham, Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let him hear them. And he said, nay, father Abraham, but if one will, if one went unto him from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they hear, neither will they be persuaded. The one rose from the dead. Now, immediately verse 31 tells me though, what that it tries to give me really the meaning of this entire story. What is the purpose of this story? Is it to tell us about eternal life? I don't think it is. It's to tell you, and clearly the fact that it's Abraham's bosom clearly means that this is a reference to the Jews and the fact that it says if you won't hear Moses and the prophets, clearly that's to the Jews. This is, an, this is really the whole point of this story is to say you've been given the prophets and Moses, you wouldn't listen and you wouldn't listen if someone was to literally die and raise from the dead. And did they literally, they did not listen, right? They did not listen, okay? So what's the point? Now, what we typically do is say, well, that may be a part of the story, but we think the other part of the story is to give us facts about the eternal state. Well, if this is to give us facts about the eternal state, do you see how weird it can get? Because who's in charge of it? 
So then people were like, I don't know. Now, to make it even more confusing is, does it mention hell in this verse? All right, in the King James, it says, and hell, he lift up his eyes. Now, here's what gets even more bizarre. Guess what? It's not the same Greek word. It's not the Valley of Hinnom in the Greek, Guiana. No, guess what? It's Hades or Hades. So why all of a sudden is a new Greek word introduced? Well, I don't know. No, no, because this has a new layer. So now we've got all these layers, right? Now what most people will try to do is like, okay, look, forget Abraham, forget Abraham's bosom, forget all of that. Forget Abraham running the narrative. Forget that the man is actually asking Abraham for mercy and not God. Just forget all of that. And then they'll say, here's what we take from the text. Clearly people die and they're conscious after death. Right? They start taking the parts they want from it to say, this teaches us about eter- the eternal state. The only problem is the story, if you're going to make it all literal, then guess what you have to do? You have to make it all literal, which then leads to a lot of really weird, confusion things. So then some people create this idea. Well, see, right now, people who are righteous, they don't go to heaven. They go to Abraham's bosom, and then they stay there until ultimately the you know, rapture or the resurrection. Then they'll be left out of Abraham's bosom. So you're saying, well, right now we go to a place where Abraham's in charge? I thought to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. And if the Lord is present, why is Abraham running the show? Like the whole thing makes no sense. So anybody should at least be a little cautious and go, Maybe we're careful what we do with this story. And maybe we step back and go, we know the ultimate meaning of the story. For the Jews, you didn't listen to God's revelation. And if you wouldn't listen to that revelation, you wouldn't listen to the revelation of someone literally dying and raising from the dead, which we know that people on their own can't respond to any revelation. That's why God has to grant us faith. All right, so, but since it's a new Greek word, then we look up this Greek word. And it's Hades. Right? I mean, let me go back. It's Luke 16. It's Luke 16. And what verse is the word uh, Hades found or hell? Just to help me save myself time. 23. All right. And in hell, he lifts up his eyes. And now here we go. Hell. Okay. It's Hades. All right. Now, some of the things that may be a little concerning here. First of all, the definition of Hades is uh, this. It's, uh, well, it's a a negative particle, properly unseen, Hades, or the place of departed souls, grave hell. Meaning it can mean the grave. All right, now that's, all right, that's a little, now what do we do? Now, the outline of biblical usage even becomes a little bit more concerning because the name Hades, or Pluto, the god of the lower regions, Orcus, the, ne- the netherworld, the realm of the dead, later use of this word, the grave, death, and hell. Where immediately now we connect this Greek word with some Greek mythology. Now some people are like, whoa, now we really got problems, right? Which would lead some people to say Christianity is just a retelling of Greek mythology and then they, they throw out Christianity. So then that creates a whole new layer of problems. But the word Hades or Hades is used, anybody know how many times in the King James? It's used 11 times. Now, well, I'm going to go through these 11 times, and, we're going to, and I'm not going to have you read them because I tried it in the last hour, but we'll get, we'll get to where all the problems really seem to start, all right? The first one is not super helpful. It's Matthew eleven twenty three, which reads, And thou Capernaum, which are exalted into heaven, shall be brought down to hell, or Hades, or Hades, for if... The mighty works which have been done in thee had been in Sodom. It it would have remained until this day. Now, the most disturbing part of that verse is not trying to figure out what hell means here. The most disturbing part is God is literally saying, remember how Sodom and Gomorrah and all the people got burned up? They wouldn't have been burned up if I would have done mighty works there. But I didn't. But I did mighty works, Capernaum, and you wouldn't repent. So then you're like, well, if God knew how this was going to work. Why wouldn't he have just done the mighty works? And Sodom, those people wouldn't have to burn. And then he could have just not done the mighty works in Capernaum since it wasn't going to work anyway. Or maybe like that, I, I don't even, that, that's a philosophical problem that make your brain melt. I don't have a good idea. But clearly when it says Capernaum is going to be brought down to hell, I don't think it's saying Capernaum is going to be brought down to a place of everlasting punishment. 
I think it's mainly saying Capernaum is going to be what? Destroyed. I think it's just more referring to being destroyed or the grave. The, the people are going to die. I don't know if it's necessarily referring to eternal punishment. If you want to try to refer to it to eternal punishment, fine. But the verse still doesn't give us what? It doesn't give us any information. You have to presuppose the information upon it, which is what I try to tell you not to do, right? Just because someone told you this is what hell or this is what Hades is, you don't get that from that verse. All right, the next verse is Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That doesn't offer any help. You say, what, the gates of hell, what is that even referencing? It seems to say authority or power. So I don't, okay, so then Hades is not going to overcome the church. Great. Now that raises a million other questions. What's the big problem here? It says, I will build my singular, Right? Well, how come we have a million different churches? And is the gates of hell going to overcome? Oh, well, so the Catholic Church says, well, it's referring to one church, one visible universal church called the Roman Catholic Church. Protestants, since we can't say that, we have to turn it into an invisible church, that the gates of hell will not overcome the invisible church. It can overcome the visible. But what, what is the invisible church since nobody knows where it is? We don't even know who is in it. We don't, like, so that... There's a million problems that verse creates. None of these verses so far, the problems have anything to do with Hades because they don't really tell us anything about it, right? Can you draw any definitive conclusion about it from this? No. All right, Luke 10, 15 is the next one. And thou Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. Doesn't offer any help, does it? No, the same thing. Most likely it's possibly just talking about the fact that it's going to be destroyed. Luke 16, 23. And in... And hell, he lifted up his eyes. There's Luke 16, 23. That's the verse everyone runs to, right? Why does everyone run to that verse? Because we have people, we have death, we have consciousness after, and we've got suffering that seems to continue. So you see why this is the go-to passage. It's like, it's the gold standard. If you're going to try to come up with a, an explanation, this is where you're going to go. Now, the fact that I raise any questions about it, you can see it's going to make people nervous, right? People are going to get nervous. Like, what are you saying? What are you saying? What do you mean, what am I saying? I'm saying what anyone reading the text should be like, well, this makes no sense. Abraham's in charge. Abraham is who you go to to get mercy. The whole thing is whacked, right? I mean, we can, can we? I'm not allowed to say that. Okay, the whole thing is, is confusing. So I don't know how much information I'm going to try to derive from it. All right, next, Acts 2.27. Because thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That is a quote from Psalm, is it 16? Yes, yes Psalm 16, 8 to 11. Now, this is a, a prophecy or reference to Christ. Now, we have two options. All right, after Christ died, he went to hell. And then God did not leave him there, but brought him out of hell, all right? And the Apostles' Creed talks about descending into hell. So some people believe he went to actual hell, but he didn't actually suffer there. Some say he actually suffered there because he had to suffer in hell. To pay. All right, it gets all kinds of weird depending on, again, I know it's going to be shocking, but nobody agrees, right, on it. Of course, I know shocking. So, but others just believe the term is a reference to the grave. It's just the grave. It's not giving. But no matter what you do with it, does it give you any information about what's going on in hell or who's there, how long it's there? You don't, you don't have to get any information. Agreed? Agreed? That's Acts 2.27. The next is Acts 2.31. He seeing his, uh, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh see corruption. Acts 2.31, dealing with the same prophecy, once again, still dealing with Christ and dealing with the idea that Christ, again, most believe this is just a reference to the grave. But even if it's a reference to Hades, hell, the spiritual place, and, and not only that, if, if hell, if, if Hades, because it's using the same word as in Luke 16, then you're going to say Jesus went to Abraham's bosom? Well, I'm just saying, if we, Luke 16, if this is the same place as mentioned in Luke 16, it's the same Greek word, right? It's not Guiana. It's, so then you see, you see you're going to have these questions, right? You're going to have these questions. So I know this. What, all we can derive from this is that where, whatever this is, Christ went there, but he did not remain there. 
Okay, good point. All right, so, right, Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Now, depending on your translation, this gets really confusing, all right? 1555, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Grave is Hades, meaning that's a reference to the grave. So clear, now, now the, key, the NIV says, O death, where is thy sting? O death, where is thy victory? They translate it death. Okay, so is it grave or is it death? <laughs> okay, well, that, but the bottom line is, we can clearly know that in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, for some weird reason, the translators decided to do what? Oh, this is not referring to Abraham's bosom. This is not referring to an eternal state or eternal place. This is just referring to death or the grave. Well, why did they change it up here? Right? Why, why, why did they translate this? Hell or Hades? Oh, hell or Hades, where is thy victory? You think it could have worked, but for some weird reason, the translators are like, no, 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 we're going a different direction here, which then adds questions, does it not? All right, we're we're moving along. Now we get to Revelation, and this is where problems begin. Here we go. Everybody ready? I I went through that quickly, so I'm going to try to give myself 15 minutes to get through Revelation so that I can accomplish what did not happen in the first hour. Here we go. You ready? Revelation 1.18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. All right. Now, this seems to say that who has the keys of hell? Christ. Meaning, who would be in charge then of Hades? Christ. Well, then that raises serious questions about the Luke 16 passage, where who seems to be in charge? Abraham. All right. So, so is Abraham just the kind of the... Who knows, right? That makes me even more convinced that maybe the Luke 16 passage is a what? A parable. I'm not, and I know as soon as I say that, see, if I even say that, there will be people online, maybe even people in this room will be like, oh, no, he called it a parable. Oh, no, 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 no. How You can't do that. Because I know if you ever deal with Jehovah's Witnesses, they're going to immediately tell you Luke 16 is a parable. Anyone who holds to annihilationism is immediately going to say, it's a parable. And then we're like, all right, we think our, our ace up our sleeve is, it's not a parable. But just it, it, to say it's not a parable, you got to deal with the, the, the weirdness of the text, right? So then you're like, it's not a parable. It's a historical narrative. Okay, well then, Hades is a place, is, is really Abraham's bosom where Abraham is in charge. Okay, I, I gotta, I, I, I've got... I got problems. I got questions. Do you not? I, okay. All right. So, that, and then Christ somehow has got the keys of it. All right. So far, so good. We're, we're still doing okay. All right. Then we get to Revelation 6, 8. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and Hades or death and hell followed with him. Now, immediately we know that he's not bringing a place. So this is just a, he's bringing What? Death and hell. I don't know why it's separate. So once again, it's separated, right? So what is he bringing with him? Death in the grave? Maybe? Like, but, I, yeah, more death. I don't know, right? But we know it's not referencing a place, yes? I mean, it's like, like he's going to be bringing the place with him, okay, right? Okay, so we know it's used in a figurative way, correct? All right, we got two verses to go. Now, these two verses are going to turn into four verses, all right? Because we're going, to get, we're going to be introduced to a new place, right? So, so far, we haven't even mentioned heaven. We clearly have mentioned hell, Gehenna, right? We've now introduced Hades, which is supposedly Abraham's bosom. And what we would argue is that hell and Gehenna and Hades is the same place as how we would typically teach it, right? Okay, so far, so good. But we don't really still know exactly what, how it works itself out. All right, Revelation 20, 13. Here we go. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Okay, now we got to stop right here and spend a lot of time trying to figure this out. All right. How many places are mentioned in this verse? Now count them. How many places? We have the sea. Everybody can write this down if you're taking notes. We have the sea. 
death and hell. We have three places mentioned here, right? Now, does everyone see that? Now, if we take these places as literal, what do we need to do? We got to identify them, right? So if we say literal, then we say the sea is literal. So that's literal the ocean, right? The ocean. And then death is... Okay, who knows, right? Okay, so if we go see land, if we go with land, or if we go with dead people on the land, all right, well, then that's kind of weird because now death becomes, now you see what, if you're going to take it literal, you see what happens here? You got to kind of make it literal somehow, right? How does it, like, you, you can't be too, you got to be pretty dogmatic. And then Hades would then represent hell. All right, so how does this work? So the people that are in the sea, the people that are in death or on, on the land and people that are in Hades, what happens? All right, now, immediately, don't you have some questions? Well, wait a minute. Why are there people in three different places? Because wouldn't they be in Hades or in heaven? So then you have to say, okay, no, 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 no. The people in the sea, the people in the sea and in death, that's the bodies. And the people in hell, that's their spirit. And then they're going to be brought together. Now, does it say that? It seems to say that, that there's three groups of people and they're all going to be brought up and then what's going to happen according to the verse? It doesn't say three, that the the people in hell are going to be reunited with their bodies. It doesn't say that. So it seems like three. So immediately you start asking questions. Well, what's going on here? Like, how do I understand this, right? Okay, but go to that actual passage in your Bible. Because now this is where it gets a little confusing, all right? Now, I know immediately people are yelling at their phones or yelling at their iPad and trying to correct me and tell me where I'm wrong. Just stay with, let me finish, okay? Just let me finish, okay? All right, here we go. 2013, and the sea gave up the dead, which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead, which were in them. And they were judged according to the works. Now, please note, it says they were judged, right? Meaning that it doesn't say that they all become one. Right? It doesn't say they're all reunited. It seems to speak that there's three separate locations and all the people in the locations are judged. Now, then the question should be, that word hell, do we translate that as a place of eternal suffering or do we, we say hell is the grave? Now, if we say hell is the grave, then how would it work? Those who are in the sea, those who are, have died and who are maybe on earth, and then those who are in the grave. Those in sea, those on land, those in the grave. And this has nothing to do with what? Where where eternal punishment is or an eternal holding pattern. This is just that those are, in a sense, I guess their bodies are going to be resurrected, and then they're going to stand before God. Now, some would argue this is a proof of soul sleep, all right? So that leads to a whole different issue, right? Okay, but, but, all right, but then what happens? Look at verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Now we have the lake of fire introduced. Now we got a new place. Oh boy. Now, before we get to the new place, guess what happens? These, if, typically we take the lake of fire to be what? Okay, okay. Well, we take it to be literal, do we not? Now, you got to think this through. This is where it gets all confusing. If the lake of fire is literal, what's thrown into it? Now, wait a minute. If death is simply, because death in the previous verse, we, we were trying to say was what? Possibly the bodies laying on the land. Like, that doesn't make any sense. If it's land, then all the land. And then we said hell was the grave. So if we're going to make it literal, then all the land and all the graves are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. 
that's, that's, you see, that's kind of confusing, right? How, so you see, what I'm trying to establish, the more literal you take it, the more what it becomes. It becomes very complicated because guess, guess what? Whose responsibility is it? If you say it's literal, what becomes your responsibility? What are you going to say? You've got to identify it. Like you can't just say, this is literal, but I don't have to explain what what is. You've got to make it make sense, right? Now, if I just step back and go, whoa, 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 whoa. This is just telling me that there will ultimately be judgment, and it's using this kind of language. It's not there for me to break down every little aspect. Now, as soon as I say that, everyone loses their mind and go, he's gone liberal, and he's an apostate. Everyone calm down. I'm just trying to say it gets a little confusing. So let's, what's our best options here, okay? We, we got time. What's our best options here? So let's go through this. C, I think everyone feels comfortable saying the sea is what? The oceans. Nobody seems to, all right? Now, just so that you know, some believe the sea is symbolic for the wickedness of the current created order. So see, not even anyone agrees on what the sea is. I know it's shocking, right? Okay, what does that even mean? I don't even know. All right, so how many feel comfortable saying the sea is literal water? Okay, good. Everybody feel comfortable with that? Okay, it's literal water. Okay, the next, death. Nobody's been able to come even anywhere close articulating what that is. I've heard, how many different things have I gotten here? Right. So we're just saying, so we're saying the, these are the remains of dead people who were not buried. They were just on the earth. Is that, is that, does everyone feel uncomfortable with that? I mean, all right, look, we got to go with the best we can come up with, right? All right. So if C, so I'm going to say it this way. Please don't get mad at me. C represents C and death ultimately represents the remains. Of, the C represents those who died in the sea and death represents those who died on land but were not given a proper burial. Is everybody okay with that? Okay, so far so good. And then hell, Hades. How many believe that it's better to call that the grave or do we call that the eternal holding place? You think the grave. Okay, now, so we're gonna go with literal, literal, literal here, right? So we're, y'all going with very material, right? Very material. An ocean, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just asking the question, just asking the question. All right, so we got that. Now, According to this verse, from these three locations, everyone is brought up. Now, the, the beauty of this approach is that we don't have to try to, if we explain Hades as the holding place, then it gets really weird, right? Well, wait a minute. So then the other two places are the bodies, and then that's the spirit, but it doesn't say that they're going to come be united. It says all of them are going to be judged. So then maybe that still works, but it just seems a little confusing. The beauty of doing it that way is, okay, no matter where you died, land, sea, or buried, you're going to be judged. That's a lot easier to handle, right? That's, 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 that's pretty, that, I like that, right? There's, there's at least an eloquence to that, right? It's simple, right? Now, the next verse is where it gets a little confusing. Okay, some say it's not really confusing. Okay, I, I'm glad <laughs> You may want to write a book because we could probably make a lot of money because I think everyone else, I, mo, I think church history says everyone else thinks it's confusing. The net, what happens in, the, what gets left out in the next verse? The sea all of a sudden just gets forgotten. Gone, all right. So don't need to worry about the sea. Okay, all right. So then what are the two places? Death and hell. Now, if we put death and hell as land and grave, are they literally thrown into the lake of fire? Right. Literal. So now death is di- not, not land. Right. Okay, but death, we're, we're, going, we're, we're following the previous verse. We're, we're saying that those are the remains of the people who died on earth. Who weren't buried. So we're going to carry that over to the next verse, right? So all the people who died on land, who were not buried, and all the people who were buried are now going to be thrown into the lake of fire. 
So we're, so we're, we're going to say that's, li- that's literal land or literal people who died on the land. And we're going to say hell is not the literal hell or literal grave. It's just going to be the people who were in the grave. Is that how we're going to work the next verse? Well, right, I understand that. So what I'm trying, okay, I want everyone to follow me. I want, and verse 13, everyone said it was very literal, right? Everyone said that it was literal. Everyone agree with that it was literal? Yes? Okay. Now, if we say it's literal, we have to carry the literal to where? The next verse. All right. Now, if the next verse is literal, then death, as, as, as defined in the previous verse, there's all the people who died without being buried, and hell is the grave. Okay, all the people who are buried. So are we saying in the next verse that the people that are thrown in, is it the people that are thrown in, or is it the land and the physical grave that is thrown in? Okay, because y'all said the land in the, in the previous verse. Okay, so we're just going to, okay, so that's what we're going to do. So 13, death, so it's just people who died on the earth and weren't, weren't buried. Sky, right, gotcha. Okay, they weren't buried. Okay, and then the grave is those who were buried. So we're, gonna, so we're not going to focus so much on the lo, those, lo, those locations. We're going to focus on the people that were in those locations. And then those people were brought up. And then the next verse, it's not the locations that are thrown into the lake of fire. It's the people that are thrown into the lake of fire. Right? So death represents the people who died on land. They're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Where they were. They died somewhere and they weren't buried. Okay? Okay, so now, now it's not people anymore. Okay. Okay. Well, the people makes a lot more sense, right? Because if it's, if it's not people, then we have literal land and literal graves being thrown into the lake of fire, which doesn't make any sense. Okay? Right. 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 Oh, I agree. War. All right, so then we're going to say that, in, so let's just make sure we follow this, right? I'm just trying to get you to work through it. All I'm trying to do is get you to work through it. I am not made, I have not made a dogmatic assertion. I want to make sure, because everyone always feels like I'm making a dogmatic assertion, right? All I'm trying to do is get us to be consistent, right? If we identify C, death, and hell a certain in 13, hermeneutically, you're almost mandated to carry it over to 14, you can't just artificially go 14. No, 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 no. Now it's different. Well, 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 what's the hermeneutical key that makes it different? So if we go with Bobby's perspective, this is just, 13 is just referencing people. No matter where they were buried, in a grave, not in a grave, in the ocean, it doesn't matter where you were. Those who have died are going to be brought forth and they're going to be judged. And they're going to be judged according to their works, which we know all of the issues with that, all right? Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The death and hell is not referencing locations. It's referencing people. And those people, no matter where they were, now I don't know why it doesn't mention the sea, but okay, they're going to be cast into Now if you say they're places, you see where it becomes a little confusing, right? Because now you're going to be like, well, so wait. All the, all the, now you get, now you got to go back to now it's land, it's not people, and hell is no longer the grave, it's actually the people in it, and see now where it becomes confusing. And then verse 15, and whosoever, now here's the problem. Now this is where, the, I, I could see how someone can make a different argument. Well, wait a minute, the people are taking care of And whoever written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, 
if the people are thrown in there in 15, then you can make a hermeneutical argument that 14 can't be referencing people because the people are judged in 15. So then 14 would have to then be what? I don't think then, I don't think we make them physical locations because I think I know that now I'm going to try to go where I think you were going. You're trying to say it's not physical, it's not people, it's the No more death, no more hell. Now everything is in the lake of fire. But the concept of death is over, and the concept of whatever, which this is where it gets a little confusing because we had, it was in the lake of fire. So you're, you're saying because the people are dealt with in the next verse. So now, now that's a good hermeneutical argument. That, that's a, right, well, let me see. Uh, where's... Uh, oh, yeah, and, the, and, and there was no more sea. Yeah, the sea is done away with in 21, verse 1. Very good point. Now we got all three at least done, done away with. So if you do it that way, at least now you've offered a hermeneutical argument, right? The hermeneutical argument is just so that we know that, and, and so this is, what I was, this is what I was trying to get to happen, right? 13, if we go literal, I was trying to challenge you to say, well, you got to carry that over to 14, which you would. But 15 says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, because it just separated the people from those other two things. Or is it just restating the fact? Now, that's, a, that's, a good, that's another hermeneutical argument that you can make, right? I know this, that by the time you get to 15, here's what I can dogmatically assert. Nothing, no, no. I can dogmatically assert that by the time we get to 15, Everyone has been judged, or at least these people, because it seems like all of these people are going to like a fire. It doesn't sound like anyone here is going to heaven, right? This clearly seems to be the judgment of, now this is why some believe in multiple judgments, right? Because this doesn't seem to indicate anybody's getting in, right? Does it? Doesn't. It doesn't seem to indicate it, right? These are all going. So, so at this point, now you just see where you have to be a little careful here, right? You got to be a little careful because we can at least step back and draw a basic assumption. Judgment will occur and unbelievers whose name's not written in the book of life are going to be put into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire seems to be told that it's what? Well, if we look up the other verses dealing with lake of fire, and now we're out of time, if we look up the other verses dealing with lake of fire, there are verses that seem to refer to it as a place of eternal torment because the devil, the beast, and the false prophet will be put into the lake of fire and they will be tormented day and night forever. That There, now we finally have the eternal concept. Hell, we're all over the place with hell, right? Is hell, what, 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 what is hell? Is, is hell Hades and Hades is hell? Are they separate? If they're the same, are they Abraham's bosom? Who's in charge? We're lost. lost. But we do know at some point, this is the best way to handle this. Because if you get into this argument between Guiana and Hades and wait, this parable, you'll you'll go in circles, circles, circles. You know what I always like to do, right? It's the stuff we don't know, we leave, we don't know. But I do know this. When you get here, whatever sea, death, and the grave is, or or Hades is, whatever it is, right? We could argue it. Is it the people? Is it the place? Diane tries to separate people, place, concept, right? Death death and Hades as a concept are not going to be no more because there's now just going to be the lake of fire, right? Okay, I can kind of get where that's going. Makes sense. Bobby's going for a much more simpler position, Hey, this is just people who died. I don't care where they're buried. They're all going to like a fire, the end. Okay, I like that. There's, there's eloquence to that. It's, it simplifies it, okay? I just know that no matter what happens here, everyone's going to be in the lake of fire. And I can prove that, yeah, not those in the book of life, that, and this seems to be the only people who are judged here who are not. Nobody here seems to be in the book, right? Agreed, it seems to be. That we can agree here that, the lake of fire is dogmatically asserted as being a place where there is eternal torment. 
That we can be dogmatic about. What can I not be dogmatic about is, okay, before the lake of fire, where are people now? Well, we can make all the arguments you want. And you can make all the arguments you want. Okay, some may want to argue for soul sleep. I reject soul sleep because to be absent with the body is present with the Lord, but then you can say, well, the lost are, are asleep. Whatever the case may be, whatever, if that brings you some kind of comfort, I don't know how that would bring you comfort because they sleep now, but they're going to be awoken and then they're going to be put in the lake of fire. So what does it really matter that they're asleep? I don't know why people, see, those are those little things people get caught up on, right? I know this. And if you can say, well, in hell, they're going to be burned up. Even if you make an argument, they're going to be consumed in hell and burned up. That makes no sense because whoever is there is going to be put into the lake of fire and they will be tormented day and night because that's what the, the, the text seems to apply. So what we can say is there's a lot of confusion about Guiana and Hades and that some of the verses are not as clear as we like to make them because we lay presuppositions upon them. But when we get to the end of the book... Everything ends up where? Heaven or lake of fire. The end. That, to me, is the most... Now, it's disturbing and bothers me all day. I mean, there's, no, there, there's nothing pretty about it, but I'm saying from a theological perspective. I'm not speaking of the humanity or the emotions of it. From a theological perspective, that's, that's comforting because it at least does this. It takes away all of that confusion, right? It takes away all of that confusion. Because can, just working through that little section of Revelation, was it 21? Can we agree it's hard to figure out? I mean, oh, we almost had a divorce, right? We had two, we had two different views right here, right? But, I, but both were trying to do what? She was looking down. She was trying to go, well, wait a minute. In the next verse, the people are taken care of. And Bobby's like, well, the easiest way to make this work is it's just people. Okay, but then the verse where, wait a minute, these two things are thrown into the lake of fire. Are these two things places? Are these two things people? If it's people, it's simple. But then the next verse says it's the people. So then what do we do with it? Ultimately, I say, here's what I know. Everything. Right? Everything. People. Death. All of it is in a sense going to be thrown into the lake of fire and there will be no more death. There will be no more, whatever Hades is, what, no matter what hell is, it's not going to be anymore. There's just going to be the eternal state of bliss or the eternal state of torment. That's how it ends. We can, we can debate for 50 years what happens in the meantime. Sometimes what you have to do is stop, don't get caught up in the debate, go to the bigger issue. Right? That's what I always go to, right? So many issues. People get caught. They're over here arguing. I'm like, no, no, no. Come over here. Let's just take it all the way to the end. And when we get to the end, we can simplify this, right? No matter what the sea is, death is, no matter what Hades is, no matter what any of those three things represent, they're going to the lake of fire. And we can dogmatically assert, because lake of fire is only used four times, and all of them are used in the book of Revelation. And they clearly identify, at least in two of the passages, that it's a place of eternal torment. So, the eternal lake of fire may not be verbally connected to the Valley of Hinnom. But the Valley of Hinnom is connected to Guiana, and, and Hades seems to have a correlation we don't know exactly how we put those together, right? But we know this, as bad as the Valley of Hinnom was, where human beings were being burned alive and then garbage burns all the time, that gets us Gehenna, but no matter how bad that is, the lake of fire seems to be, and the lake of fire still carries that image, does it not? All right, that, that's the only reason I did that is because the Valley of Hinnom takes us to Kiana and Kiana without, even if you're not trying to, it's going to take you to Hades or Hades. And then when you cover all that, guess where they all lead you to? Kiana, Hades are going to lead you right to Revelation 21, where you have now the lake of fire. And once we get there, I see, I was questioning all of this, and I think people get nervous. 
Uh, oh, wait, you're, you're, you're destroying the eternal suffering. Uh, no, I'm trying to say that when you look at all the words for Guyana, all the verses for Guyana, and all the verses for Hades, you're not left with a lot. And, and if I take away Luke 16, everyone loses their minds on me. They're like, how dare you? That's literal. Okay, well, if you take it literal, you've got more problems trying to figure out Luke 16 than I got. Well, then when you get to the end, guess what you find? It doesn't matter. Because it all goes to the lake of fire. That we can see, clearly prove is eternal. You see how I tried to do that? I, sometimes you have to go through the questioning and the doubting to get to the answer, but nobody ever wants to let me get through the questioning and the doubting because I, I don't know why. If everyone would just trust me, I'll get us to where we need to go, right? All right, so there we have it, okay. And that, that took us way too long, but there we go. So what's the answer? The answer is everything and everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life going to the lake of fire. And even if you don't want to take that literal, whatever it points to has to be as bad or worse than the the figurative because Jesus says you don't even want to go to hell. You'd be better to chop off your hand or pluck out your eye than to go to hell. Even Jesus seems to say that Guyana is a horrible place. So if all of that is bad, wherever the lake of fire is, is going to be bad. So even if you make it figurative, it's got to be bad, right? And so then we should be bothered and concerned for anyone who could possibly go there. But on the other hand, are we not glad that God is the one who ultimately takes care of the situation? And I think people have given all kinds of comments. All right. Okay, yeah. All right, so some people are like, this, they've heard this symbolizes this. And see, once again, when you get to the sea and everyone's like, it, I heard it symbolizes this. I heard it symbolizes that. I think the best thing to do is, where does it end up? Then problem solved. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. This is complicated and difficult stuff. I pray that walking through it, even though we go through a valley of questions and doubts, I pray that it works better because we end up with some kind of a definitive answer. I I pray people will understand what I try to do and that it will be beneficial. And hopefully now we can at least move forward in the book of Jeremiah with some level of certainty about what the Valley of Hinnom was pointing to. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. And God's people said,